Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to come here before your children to share your word, to continue to grow disciples as you've called us to, uh, that will go and affect the entire world. We just thank you, Lord, for the anointing, your precious anointing, your supernatural endowment of love and grace and peace and teaching that we can make a difference in this sick and dying world. In Jesus' name, amen. The time is interesting, (laughs) the times in which we live. Everywhere you go, everybody you talk to, that's what comes up. Crazy times. The way things are, the way the world is. Everything's gone crazy. Everyone's lost their mind. You know, it's the same thing because everyone sees it. It seems surreal, honestly. Like it's not, you know, it's like, okay, the gig is up. You know, this can't be real. Things are too bizarre. And I'm telling you, there's the times in which we live and the times quickly approaching, we're going to need, we're going to need more protection as children of God than we get from a home security system. Even if you have the, the best alarm system along with the biggest dog and the 12-gauge behind the door and the 9-millimeter beside your bed, which is a good start. You're going to need something more. The Lord says, unless he guards the city, the watchmen labor in vain. There's a place that comes to mind. People turn to when they generally preaching the offering. In Malachi chapter 3. I'll start around the middle of the 7th verse. The Lord says, return to me and I will return to you. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You're cursed with a curse. For you're robbing me. The whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test. Says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you. And pour out for you a blessing. Until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. This is an interesting passage of scripture. First of all, it's Old Testament And we are not cursed with a curse, are we? Jesus 
bore our curse on the tree. And so you can set that aside. But you can learn a lot from the Old Testament about how God feels about things. The tithe came before the law. The law was only in in place for 1,500 years, and it was really only for the Jews. But before that, when when, uh, Abraham met Melchizedek on the field of battle, and he gave him a tenth of everything that he had that he had won and plundered, that was a type and shadow of us and Jesus Christ. And it's something that I would recommend to everybody because it has not gone out of style and God will still meet His agreement regarding those things. God loves a cheerful giver. So I would say it even... You know, some people say, oh man, we have a lot less that we're responsible for now that the law is gone as Christians. I say that's wrong. I'd say the standard is much higher. Because not only does God want and expect us to give, because if we're not giving, then we're not really living a life of faith. Because that's one of the teachings that Jesus taught on and he said, if you don't understand this, you're not going to understand any of the, the, the parables that I teach or any of the, the things of the kingdom of God. Because it's all about sowing and reaping, isn't it? And why would you sow? Why would you, why would you say you can do more with 90 cents than you could with a dollar? There's a requirement. Because to the natural man, that's crazy. But to someone that has the measure of faith, it's not crazy, is it? It's one of the principles, one of the spiritual laws that God has set in place for, for us. To benefit us, to provide for us, not to harm us. And he says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. The devourer, by the way, is the devil. I taught from a passage of scripture recently where God says, you're wondering why it seems like you, you, you go out and work and you, get, you put your money and you, but you put it in the pockets that got holes in it. And he says, because you're building your houses up. And you forgot about mine. This is not even on my mind right now. I don't know why I'm saying this. It seems very appropriate at this time, but it's not, it's not where I'm going. It's not about that. But still, some things just don't change. But we need to be in a position to have the supernatural protection of God. And so we need to go back and revisit all of his spiritual laws and make sure we're in agreement with them. We want to stay positioned so that God is always rebuking the devourer for our sake. People say sometimes they go to a church and they say, this church only wants my money. And I think we're in a good place for me to teach on things like this because I never preach about 
Uh, I never preach the offering. I just leave a basket up here. I do it for that reason. And to date, which I'm not opposed to, but I haven't taken anything from this church in the way of a, a pay, any kind of pay. So I think I'm overly qualified to talk to people about the importance of giving to God without them thinking that I'm just wanting to pull money out of them. Because people say this church just wants my money. They go to places. And worse, it can, it can become more corrupt because at that point they haven't blamed God yet. They're just, they just don't like the people that claim to be His. But then it's real easy to get into a place where you say, well, God only wants my money. <laughs> Let me tell you, God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our money. He wants us, doesn't He? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added. What things? The things that we put first in our lives when we forget God. He says, you got it out of order. You're going to chase after those in, uh, all your life and like you're beating your head against a wall trying to get them. And He said, if you would have just put me first, I would have provided you with all the th- desires of your heart once you got into agreement with me and our desires become the same. He just wants us. And we need to make sure we're available. You know, I think that's a that's a good prayer, you know. When when we wake up before we before our feet hit the ground, I think I've told you all so so I don't know how many thousands of times I've I just say, Lord, thank you for your love and faithfulness. First thing I say, good morning. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, thank you, Holy Spirit. I praise you. I want to glorify you today. I want to honor you with my life. And I want to thank you for the life you've given me. And then I, many times will just say, I'm, I'm available, Lord. I'm here. But I need to hear from you. I need to sh- you to show me. I need direction. And I'm really praying this now. I need guidance. I need a sure word. If you tell me to take off walking through that wall right there, I'm going to start in that direction. But I need to know it's you. So it's so so I know it's not that wall you and that door you wanted me to walk through. <laughs> See, if you really wanted me to take this door over here, and I thought you said go through that wall, I'm just going to be beating my head against the wall because it really wasn't you. And I want to hear you, Lord. I want to tell you today I just I just want to make an impact on our hearts and minds about one of the devil's greatest fears. And I just, I'm going to I'm not going to share it yet, but I'm just going to say that because that's where we're going. And when we get there we'll be done, okay? If the Lord, Lord, if you'll just take me on a path to there. That'll be a good place. But I want to, I want to look at a fella from scripture back in Judges. In the, in the sixth chapter. Are you familiar with Gideon? We all like Gideon. 
We know that uh, anyone has seen that movie 300, that that did not start in Greece, did it? <laughs> we know where the original 300 came from. And it sure wasn't Greece. Gideon's story is pretty lengthy. So I'm going to summarize and just remind us, because you all know the story, but there was, there was all those ites in the, old, in the Old Testament that were the enemies of God's people, weren't they? The Midianites in particular, and the Amorites, I think it was, yeah, the Amorites and the Midianites, but the Midianites had had taken over Israel. And all these things, it looked like they had done it, but we know that God was directing all the steps back then. So Israel had done poorly in God's eyes once again. And so he allowed Midian to take them over for seven years, didn't he? If you've forgotten, because that happened a lot back then. Things came and went. But that's where they were at this particular time. And they would come in and listen. They had, they had millions. You know? I think in, in the sixth chapter here, it, it, it talks about the fact that they would come in and consume all the crops and everything and all the cattle and everything and the livestock from Israel. And they would come in like locusts and their camels and their people were too numerous to count. I think that's one of the descriptions in chapter 6. So then it, there comes Gideon. And as we start talking about Gideon here, I just want to... I want to jump in where he's called. We're all called. Amen. But this is where the angel of the Lord comes and just chill under a tree. <laughs> I think it was Jesus. And we'll pick up right there. Uh, let me see if I can find it real quick. I'll start at the 11th verse of the 6th chapter of Judges, okay? Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the Abazarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So he was down there trying to beat out some wheat so they could make some bread, and he was hiding down in the winepress so he wouldn't be seen, so they wouldn't come and steal what he had <laughs> tried to salvage, you know. That's what he was doing. He was hiding from those Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Wow. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir. If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us 
And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? (laughs) So first he steps up and says, Oh, mighty man of valor. And then Gideon enters into a tirade of negativity. And it's just like he never said anything. Go in this might of yours. And he continued to call him mighty. Do not I send you? There's the key, right? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. More negativity. The smallest and the weakest. And what do you want me for? Sounds like somebody I know. (laughs) And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Now, the rest of Gideon's story goes on. And he, can, he begins to fleece God and, and put God to the test one way or another to, to be sure that God is really for him and that, and that he's with him, right? But in the end, Gideon does just what God told him right there. And he went on the mission just as God instructed him. He had a few setbacks. And he and maybe some of the army he had put together might have got to thinking it was them. And God kept whittling away at their number until he got them down to 300. And I think he was only fine with leaving it at that 300 because by then they knew there was no way in the world they could even touch this uh, gigantic army that they were facing. But they did destroy that huge army of millions with just the 300. This angel of the Lord... He called Gideon a mighty man of valor. But Gideon couldn't see it, could he? But the truth is, Gideon was mighty. He was a mighty man of valor. When? When he stopped being negative? (laughs) When he finally won the victory? No. Here's my point, and I want you to really, really meditate on this, and I want you to get this. I want you to make it your own. Because it, it quit, you got to quit looking at Gideon, because ne- Gideon never did anything to make it true. It was true the moment the Lord said it. It was true the moment the Lord said it. 
That's the most important thing you need to know. Because it's the same with you. Now, the difference is the Lord doesn't have to come and sit under a tree in your yard while you're doing some shade tree mechanic thing or some silly thing and speak these words to you because they've already been spoken over you. How many of you said yes to Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? Okay. Because of that, all the promises of God in this book for you are yes and amen. That's God's blessing spoken over you. And it can't be undone. It'll chase you down and overtake you. But it's according to your faith. This is this is where I'm going to throw a number out there. I don't like numbers, but I just wanted to, to show you how extreme I believe it is. I want to say 90% of the body of Christ is where they jump off the bus. And all of the world. Matter of fact, there's some in the world doing it better than some in the church. Just by having a positive attitude or whatever. Or I, I, I can do attitude or something like that. Which is not anointed, believe me. But it'll sure get you a lot further than a negative uh, mentality in the world. And people that are just doing that are surpassing millions upon millions of so-called believers. And we're not comparing to them because we don't care about that. We care about them in the sense that we want them to be saved. And we love everyone. And we love all of our brothers and sisters even if they jump off the bus. Hey, if they're coming, we see them when we get home, that's the main thing. But what we'd like to do is get back to the acronym for this church, which is help, heal, empower, love, and prosper. To to receive that in abundance, the supernatural blessing and covering and protection and guidance and anointing of God that we may infect others with it. So that they get back on the bus and find their proper seat. You know, the what a I got an idea. Look at Luke chapter seven. Luke chapter seven. There. Luke chapter 7. Do you remember John the Baptist when he was in prison and he sent, he had some doubts? <laughs> you can imagine, I mean, it probably wouldn't be hard to do. Everything was falling apart. 
And all these guys, they didn't know God. Jesus didn't explain everything to them and tell them when everything was going to happen and how. He let them go on thinking that really the kingdom of God had arrived with him, which it had. But he was here to do spiritual work and they were looking for natural, weren't they? They were just ready for him to take his throne and put an army together and defeat the enemies of God's people. At this point, it was really the Romans and so forth. But nevertheless, they didn't know exactly how it was all going to go down. They just trusted that it was. And in in Luke chapter 7, John had sent a disciple to go back to Jesus. And Jesus was healing the sick and doing all sorts of wonderful things. He went to... He sent his disciple, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, sent his disciple, he was in prison, he sent his disciple to go and ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Now, when he baptized him, remember that day, he, he knew who he was, didn't he? He had been told his whole life who he was. His mama, Elizabeth, knew it. You know, his parents knew about it. I'm sure they told him the story about Mary coming to visit and, how John wept, leapt in the womb and, and how he was the Messiah and John was going to be the one to announce his coming. He knew it. But at this point, everything was falling apart and he'd been thrown into prison. They were about to kill him. And he's like, what's going on here? He had a moment of doubt. And he sent his disciples say, are you the one or shall we look for another? And then look what it says Verse 21, because this is what the disciple arrived out to where Jesus was to see. In that hour, he, Jesus, healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them. You know, he threw that in there right there. So the guy shows up to ask this question. And it doesn't even show that he asked the question, but he did. And then it shows what he saw when he got there. And then Jesus answered and said, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. He was talking to John saying, just keep your faith. Don't, don't quit on me now. He who stays faithful until the end will be saved. Isn't that right? Don't let situations and circumstances change your opinion of God. It's easy to do when things don't go like you expect or hope. But don't blame God. His plan is good. And He does love us. And He is for us. And He is with us. And that's all we really need to know. What does the kingdom of God look like? The 
kingdom of God looks like the blind receiving their sight. The kingdom of God looks like lame people walking, getting up out of their wheelchairs. The kingdom of God here on earth right now looks like lepers being cleansed, people being cleansed of their sinful life. People's ears being opened from deafness. Dead being raised up to life. People without any hope receiving the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. That's what we need to keep marching on and standing on and believing on. Because it's according to our faith that we will experience the kingdom of God in this life. It's according to our faith. It's all throughout the Bible. It's just like, it's just like I'm sure the Lord looks at us and He's like, it's just like the disciples when He was crucified and went and buried and they were all dismayed. And you go back and you count how many times He told them that was going to happen and how they were always heartbroken over Him telling them that. But then when it happened, they were so astounded and they act like, well, I guess He wasn't the one. Isn't that what the... The two on the road to Emmaus acted like when he opened up, not revealing himself physically, but scripturally, he showed himself to them throughout the scriptures and how all these things had to take place. He had a Bible study with them. The same with this, always according to our faith. Isn't it? In it in there? Believe that you have what you pray for when you pray and you shall have it. Believe and do not doubt. I wish you were either hot or cold. Those who doubt is like a like a, a man tossed around the ocean by the waves. He's, he's unsteady in all of his ways. He's not going to receive anything from God. I'm just, I'm just trying to think of some of the things. But it, it's all throughout there. But then we, we forget that it's something that we have to practice. We have to stand on. We have to quit going by what we see and saying what we see. We have to quit saying what we see or we're going to have what we say. We have to say what He said about us. Because when he said it, that settled it. When Jesus said, go over to the other side of the lake, he didn't say go halfway and drown. He said, go all the way. So all the, the provision for them to get to the other side was in his word. That's why he said, oh, you little faith. Why didn't you just believe? I already told you you're going to the other side. My word will not allow you to drown halfway. The biggest thing the devil's afraid of is that you'll believe what God has said about you. Oh, y'all don't hear me. Turn back a couple of pages. Luke chapter 4, 
talking about how Jesus was baptized by John, his cousin, remember? And then what happened? Right after that, the Holy Spirit called him out into the wilderness, didn't he? The time of fasting and prayer. And for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was out there. And while he was in the wilderness, he was tested by the devil, wasn't he? For 40 days being tempted by the devil. I'll just start the first verse. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. How did he get full of the Holy Spirit? When he was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit that same time, didn't he? It's two separate things. And and one can go before the other or, or vice versa. We can show you that throughout the book of Acts. But it is a separate, a separate event. But the dove came and lit on him. And that was, that was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it stayed on him. Because you know, he never, there's never evidence of him ever doing a miracle before that. If he needed it, we need it. If you're not praying in the spirit, you're working offline. Hello? It's important. It's important. It's powerful. Bypasses all the flesh. When you're praying in the spirit, you're speaking out your future. You're prophesying your speech for future straight from the kingdom of the God. The, the spirit of God within you knows the will of God for you. And he will speak it if you will allow him. That's why I say if you're not praying in the spirit, you're working offline. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. You can imagine 40 days, man. Wow. 40 days. And he's hungry. And so here comes the tempter. That old devil. Satan. And the devil said to him in verse 3. If. Biggest word right there. If you are the son of God. Command the stone to become bread. He was starving. He was God. And he knew who he was. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. A lot of people have taken that bargain from the devil. Katy Perry says she wanted to be the next Amy Grant. But she says it wasn't happening. And she sold her soul to the devil. Said those very words on late night television. I heard her some years ago. She said those very words. Right on Carson or one of those shows like that. Tavana and I are believing that she's going to repent. And come back to God. Her parents are ministers. But nevertheless, my point here is that the devil 
wanted to get Jesus to doubt his identity. If you are the son of God. He knew he was the son of God. And Jesus knew. But he was tired and hungry. The devil always tried to get you at your weakest state. There was one of the great generals. I don't know. It was Eisenhower, Patton. Or one of them that said that, that uh, fatigue will make cowards of us all. Have you ever just been to the point of exhaustion? And you just don't think straight. You don't make right choices. You become all very emotional and just (laughs) unwound. That's when the enemy comes. When, When the doctor's report is terrible. And you want to believe God. But you're confronted with all these experts who say you need to be real. I know what's real. I'm holding it in my hand. It's the only thing that's going to remain when all of this is burned up. This is real. And what God says about you is real. Way more real than anything the devil can throw upon you. The devil wants to say, well, if you are the son of God... If you're blessed of God and prospered of God and your father owns the cattle on a thousand hills then how come you can't even pay your rent? If you're the son of God if you were by Jesus' stripes you were healed if you're the son of God and Jesus said the things that he did, which was raise the dead and open blind eyes and heal the sick. How come you can't even get your wife healed if you're the son of God? If you're a child of God, how come you can't get your kids in church? If you're not the son of God, it's not for you. I know the Son of God. You're not Him. Just like the devil's demons told those sons of Sceva. And you start thinking, well, maybe I am like the sons of Sceva. Maybe I'm just saying Jesus and I don't really, I don't even know anymore. Maybe I'm just fake. Maybe it's not for me. Maybe my sins are too great. Maybe I haven't done this. I haven't done that. Maybe I didn't give all my tithing offerings so the devourer is allowed to come because God is mad at me. All lies. All lies of the devil. But that's how he works on you. And he wants to get you alone to do it. Or he wants to get you back to the people that will agree with him and with the world. And will have pity And mercy on you in that fashion. Saying well. That's why you got to be careful for prayer chains. Because there's a lot of weak links in that chain. And they're just gossips. And they're just reinforcing the devil's position. Instead of speaking faith. And blessing. And help. And wholeness and prosperity and all the promises of God that he has spoken over you. That instead of calling those into existence like we should. 
we sometimes say, yeah, but well, we need to get our butts out of the way and stick with the Word of God. We need the supernatural protection, anointing, and favor of God, and it's already been spoken over you, you mighty man of valor. You mighty woman of God. But it's according to our faith. Believe and receive or doubt and do without. It's a real thing. Who was it? Dr. Seuss said sometimes the questions are what's so complicated, but the answers are very simple. Father, thank you for this word. We thank you for trusting us with the treasures of your word, of your truth. We thank you for the blessing that you have spoken over us. All of your promises are for us. You're for us. You are with us. You love us. We are your children. Even though we've been adopted into, grafted into the family of God, we have the same rights and privileges as the natural born child, Jesus Christ himself. And we thank you, Lord. Help us to speak words of faith. Help us to get our hopes up in you, knowing that you are our provider. You are the one who loves us and guides us and wants us to succeed and as soon as we agree with you, we are everything you say we are. In Jesus' name, amen.